The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. There it is. Wow. That's my resolution is to turn on the microphones. There you go. You can hear me just fine now. So that's twice in a row, Gilbert. I haven't slept much either, apparently, so it's all good. Well, 2 Peter 3.18 is where we at. Well, it's college bowl season, Oklahoma, my, my wife's uh, home state, and uh, the, the demise of a lot of football uh, calendars for people is, is playing in the Tournament of Roses, the Rose Bowl. And the Rose Bowl, as you know, is held out in California. Many of you know that. They always have a big float each year and on New Year's Day or around that time. And one of New Year's Day in the Tournament of Roses Parade, a beautiful float sputtered and quit. It was out of gas. And this is what the picture looks like. True picture, true story. And you'll laugh when you see the picture as it comes up. <laughs> the whole parade was held up until someone could get a can of gas. And wouldn't you know... The amusing thing was it was built and, and brought out by the Standard Oil Company of California. So they forgot to put gas in their own float that made it go. Imagine that. That actually happened back in the 50s. With its vast oil resources, its truck ran out of gas. And even though Christians have access to God's character throughout the year, if we don't take time to avail ourselves to him, we will also run out of power. You've come through many things this year, many family things, many church things, many professional things, many personal things. And it seems like that every time during this year, we are caught up in a whirlwind of well-intentioned resolutions. With premeditated bursts of enthusiasm, we try to do things that we never thought possible before. I'm going to climb Mount Everest. And you get to five feet up, you say, man, I'm tired, I need a break. And that's how it goes. We find ourselves bearing witness to surprising, self-conscious uh, New Year's resolutions where we are summoned to behold the sweeping changes that may come, impending dispositions, impossible diets, and impenetrable forces of discipline. Like you're going to run 100 miles a week, you're only going to eat uh, vegetables, and you're never going to drink any salt or any Coke or pop ever again, right? Isn't that how it always goes? And how long does that really last? But I'm grateful that... Those in the Bible 
who resolved themselves, resolved themselves to do things in the Lord. Daniel 1.8 says this, and it'll be on the screen, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel resolved not to defile himself just because it was faddish, but because it was the Lord that he did it for. You know what the awesome thing is? You've probably broken some of your resolutions even today. But you want to know what's great? The gospel is for resolution breakers. That's the great news that we have. And as we look towards 2018, spiritually speaking, what does it look like to start afresh? I mean, really, what does it look like? What should we be aiming for as Christians? And some of these are going to be so basic, but I want to remind you of them because it's so easy to get off track. The big idea today is simply that the only New Year's resolution is that we need to make every year is to collapse more fully on Jesus Christ. Not our resolve, but Jesus's resolve. Because I don't know about you, the only New Year's resolution that I keep is the one that says I'm going to eat more, I'm going to do all sorts of things that I wouldn't usually do, because it's just that's just how it goes. I don't keep them very well. But the bigger your gospel, the fewer New Year's resolutions you need to make. Why? Because, again, the gospel is for resolution breakers. Resolve now not to trust your resolution for the next year, but in Jesus' resurrection. And Peter's going to write this letter. He's going to give us 11 keys throughout the scripture that he kind of springboards from that we want to look at. Because this one verse that we're going to see is a verse that reminds us about everything we are to do in the Christian walk. So here are the 11 keys of spiritual growth, and Megan's going to put them up. Did you catch all those on the screen pretty easily? <laughs> there they are. You just can't see them. They're coming. They didn't fit on the screen. But there are 11 resolutions, 11 things, 11 keys to your spiritual growth. Maybe you've heard them before. Maybe you haven't. But how are you doing with them? With that in mind, will you join me in standing this morning? As we read one verse, we'll be searching through the scriptures as we do. One verse, 2 Peter 3.18. And if you are an underliner, this is a great thing to underline. This is a... Peter's last letter, as he writes it, he's writing to a church, uh, or the scattered uh, people of the churches that he had witnessed to and been a part of, and at the very end of his life, these are his final words, at the very last major sentence that he has. One verse this morning, 2 Peter 3.8.10, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity, amen. Let me read it again. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father God, as we take time just to go through a checklist, Lord, of where we are spiritually. Father, I pray that this is not just academic. I pray this isn't just, uh, oh, I need to do better here, do better there. Thank you, Lord, that doing better never saved us. It's not going to make it any better. It's all about your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for wherever we are with this that your spirit would speak to us. Maybe it's one, maybe it's three or four of these, maybe it's all of these that need to be impacted in our lives. But, Father, I pray that as we see them, we see more fully, more gloriously, more uplifted the name of Jesus Christ. That's our prayer for our families, our lives, and our children. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Thank you. So 11. You say, Darren, how in the world are you going to get through these quickly? I promise you we will. They're very short and very pithy, but I, I think they're very key for us. I, I, I really, I tore up a couple of different sermon outlines this week because I thought, you know, this isn't just it. I, I, I believe the Lord has led me to this as, as we study. The first thing, the first key you need, and I'm speaking to most of you who already are a part of this, 
But the first key to grow spiritually in 2018 or any time is to know you are saved. To know you are saved. Now, that, 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 that's kind of a given, right? There, and you're, you're talking to the crowd that came out in negative two actual temperature weather, right? I mean, this is, this is us. This is, this is who we are. But it, it's kind of like this. You know, you never know. You have been in churches, many of you, for years and years and years. Never assume that everyone knows Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is for all. But it's kind of like this. You can't or you shouldn't drive a car with the emergency brake on. You know, uh, a couple weeks ago we were in Oklahoma and I was driving the Gator, you know, one of those Gators on our, uh, uh, my in-law's uh, almond uh, pecan farm there. And I didn't realize it because I'd never driven a Gator for a long time. I had the emergency brake on the whole time. And it was a struggle to get up the hills. And I wondered what that smell was too. And it kind of made a big difference in the performance of the vehicle. And you know what? You can't drive a car or a gator well with the emergency brake on. And spiritually, you cannot grow if you're not saved. What Jesus did, we cannot do. What Jesus accomplished, we cannot achieve. What Jesus gives, we can't earn. We are saved by grace alone. You know that. And that is why we have to know this. If you're here today and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, anything else we talk about today is going to be mush unless you come to believe in the gospel itself. We have to believe in the trustworthiness of the scripture, which says that on that cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And when he said, it is finished, it's done. There's no questioning that. We must call upon the name of the Lord by faith. We confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God, the punishment we deserve. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, haven't we? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, this is why, and Megan will put this up on the screen, that Jesus did not plead with men to open their hearts, to repeat a prayer and ask him in. He commanded them in Mark 1 and verses 14 and 15 to repent and believe the gospel. If you're a Christian here today and you know you're saved and you've been saved for many years, then may that be our prayer this week, that Lord, as I share the gospel in 2018, I'm not pushing someone to make a decision, I'm pushing them to trust Jesus Christ, to repent and believe. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we'd love to talk to you more about that after the service. Secondly, how do you grow in Jesus Christ? You need to immerse yourself. Don't you love that word? You need to immerse yourself in Scripture. You need to immerse yourself in the Bible. It's kind of like those people we were talking in the sound booth before, those people who tomorrow are going to go out to the lake and like bear only a swimsuit and jump into the lake and do the polar plunge. How crazy that is. Uh, has anyone ever done that before, by the way? Anyone here? No one? You're sane. Thank you. That's good. Um, most of us are sane at least. Uh, but, you know, and that's what we have to do. We have to immerse ourselves in the scriptures. That's so easy to forget. We get busy with church. We get busy with life. We get busy with jobs and all good things in their proper places in God's providence. But there must be a steady intake of God's word. The more we put it into practice in our lives, the more we will grow as Christians. There's really no other growth mechanism. It's not pouring ourselves into the word of God. It's not an ability issue. You don't have to go to seminary to be able to read this book. Think about the 12 disciples we studied back in the summer and late fa early fall. Those guys were uneducated, untrained, but Acts 4 says they turn, Acts 11 says they turn the world upside down, but Acts 4 reminds us that when the Jewish council saw Peter and John, they said, what have these guys been doing? And they said, they have been with Jesus. 
and we will never advance beyond our steady diet of God's word. For some of you, that means you're going to be on a Bible reading program. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. And we're going to have one next week for you, even starting late in the year. But for some of you, that means when you go to sleep, you're going to tune into a Bible reading plan. You're going to hit play and just let the scriptures take you to sleep. Some of you drive like an hour and a half to get to work or something. Then you're going to press play on your, your stereo or however it works, and you're going to listen to the scriptures. Immerse yourself in it. Guys, this is where it begins. We know that, don't we? Well, what are the basics you need to know? There are four things, and Megan will put these up quickly. First, you need to know about the Bible. You need to know the essential storyline of the Bible. It's all about a, a, a God who, in his grace, has reached out to sinful humanity and brought us back and saved us by and through and in and to Jesus Christ. Know the essential storyline of the Bible. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's about him. But by his grace, he puts us in there. You need to know basic Bible doctrine. What is the Trinity? Who is Jesus? What is the character of God? What is the resurrection? All things that if you deny, then you cannot be called a Christian. And then what is your duty? I mean, don't you want to know that sometimes? I go up to my wife sometimes and say, honey, what's on the list today? Because you never know. You may have forgotten. If you're like me, you forget things very easily. So what does God require of me as I live the Christian life? And finally, and I think this is so key, godly examples in the scriptures. You ever notice how the Bible is pretty honest with us? With us? It gives us all the details about things that we don't always need to know about, but it tells us anyway. If you were in Sunday school this morning in Acts 16, you know exactly what I'm talking about with Timothy. But what can we learn from their lives, the good, the bad, and, and, and the in-between? Colossians 3.16, it's not on the screen, I'll read it for you, says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Friends, it's better to spend five minutes in God's word than five minutes outside of God's word. If this year one of your basic commitments is just to go back and say, Lord, I just want to get in. I don't want to do a plan, Lord. I just want to get in the Bible. You know, it's hard. I've told you a story before of uh, Susanna Wesley. I've shared this several times. The, uh, the John Wesley was a famous hymn writer. Maybe you know him, a famous Methodist writer. They had like something like 11 or 12 kids, and she was so busy with kids that when she got in, in a, a time where she needed to pray, she used to take her apron, and she threw it over her head, and all the kids kind of backed away. I'm like, whoa, mom's praying to God. Don't talk to her right now. And in a sense, that's how we need to do with our lives. Does the way we handle the Word of God set apart how we handle our relationships, our church life, our professional life, with everything at the store, whatever it is? That's really where it all starts is in the Scriptures. Number three, and this sounds so easy, but we need to grow, number three, to love and to worship God. To love and to worship God. Sounds so easy, but let me break that down for us. John 4.24, Jesus reminds us that God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. As we grow in our relationship with the Lord, as we grow together, our devotion to him and for him, he becomes more precious and glorious to us, doesn't he? And the gospel is grounds for unreserved worship. Just a slither of what Christ has done for you makes you just want to go mad for Jesus, doesn't it? You know, many of you got really excited at Christmas because you got a gift you wanted. Maybe most of the young people, I don't know, most of the older people here did. Um, you know, I got a new running mask. That was pretty exciting to me. I don't have to breathe cold air when I run now. That's great. And it's exciting. It's like, wow, this is what I really always wanted. And then five days later, you're like, wow, that's great. But it's not as exciting as it was when I opened it up. But when you come to the gospel, 
isn't it always just such a, not just emotionally, but your whole being a rush because you remember that Jesus died. He died for you and he gave his life for you. And all we can do is to see what he's worth and give him his worth. But it's on his terms, not on ours. And if we're not eager to gather for worship to do that, it could be because we don't love God or because we don't love our neighbor or both. We need to say that the more we know this God and his scripture, the more we want to love him. As you'll see on the screen, there's a direct connection between knowing God and our desire to worship him. The more we know him, the more we want to worship him. It's kind of like when you were dating, you know this analogy well, that when you got to know your now spouse, uh, you got, you know, they would just tell you what their favorite color was, and you said, oh, wow. And those eyes, and then you go, and you carve your name on a tree, and, you know, you just do all sorts of silly stuff you'd probably never do except in a Hallmark or Lifetime movie network kind of thing. How much more when you know the love that Christ has given us? Don't let the gospel become routine. Pray, Lord, let the gospel be the fuel by which we do, I do, this church does everything this next year. The more we know of him, the more we want to worship him. We're, guys, we're a third of the way through the list. Are you hanging on? Let's go to number four. Fourth is live in obedience to Christ. And again, these sound so simple, don't they? And, I, and as I was looking at this list this week and praying about it and preparing, I thought, Lord, this is so simple. They know this. They're doing this. They're a part of this. But oh, how easy we get away from this. It's not according to our agenda, but according to the word of God and obedience to him. First Peter 1, 2 reminds us, it says, that we were saved according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. Why were we saved? For obedience to Jesus Christ. Why are you saved? If you're saved, you're saved for obedience. Every step of growth you have in the Christian life is a step of growth in obedience to Christ. Where there is no obedience, there is no spiritual growth. And I think that's why it's so true. If you feel in a rut, if you feel dry spiritually, if you feel like you are just churning your wheels and all you're getting is more mud churning behind them, you need to remember this. The gospel change means It'll be on the screen that here's who you are becomes before here's what you do. Here's who you are comes before here's what you do. Your obedience is rooted in Jesus Christ. Sadly, I think if we are all honest about this, if someone asks you, who are you? You would probably list off some awesome things. I'm a, I'm a, a grandparent, a mother, father. I work here. I do this. I do that. But if we had 30 seconds, as sad as it is, I think if we're honest, we would probably not say, I'm, I'm, I'm a blood-bought believer of Jesus. I'm a saved person. Do you know Jesus? Because obedience in American society is all about what you do, isn't it? It's how much you can get out of it. how much you put into it. But in the gospel, who you are comes before what you do. Your identity is not in how many hours you put into the church. Although that's great to God's glory, your identity is are you rooted to know Jesus, first of all. That is the big question. And when you're rooted in your identity in Christ, you want to obey him as well. All right, number five. Are you getting warmed up yet? Are you defrosting? That microwave's been turning for a while. I hope you're, I hope you're defrosting by now. This next one, again, it, it seems more theological. Words of practicality. Number five, to grow, you need to be filled with 
the Spirit. All right, Darren, are you going Pentecostal, Baptocostal on us all of a sudden? No, not quite. But what I do know is that if you love Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit proclaimed, come forth over your dead heart. And he proclaimed, come forth, and you were saved because you got preached at. Someone shared the news. And like sap going through the vines of a branch, the Spirit is at the work in a Christian. We can do nothing apart from Christ, can we? John 15 reminds us of that. But Ephesians 5.18 says, And don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Better translated, be filled by the Spirit. There's not a sense that we're being filled with the Spirit uh, like being uh, like, like a, out of a pitcher into an empty glass. Rather, to be filled with the Spirit biblically is to be controlled by, led by, and energized by, and growing in your knowledge and walk with Jesus Christ. Have you prayed for that? So often we come to church and it just becomes routine. It's what we do. We're, you're here. You're the faithful crowd. Have you prayed, Lord, fill me with your Spirit? Help me to be controlled by your Spirit today, Lord. Help me to be led by your Spirit, energized by your Spirit, and grow in your Spirit. Galatians 5.16 also says, but I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The gospel's fruit is proof that the Spirit is still at work on the surface, on the deep, that God is still declaring life into existence. And the fruit of the Spirit, there's no such law against these things. You're completely free. You'll have the love, joy, peace, patience. Help me out here. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness and self-control. There's, yeah, the translations are mixing in my head. NIV, KJV, and all the things that are. We can't take or leave certain fruit of the Spirit. Would you pray this year, Lord, help me to see the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Not just part of it, Lord, but all of it. It's interesting that they're called the fruit, singular, not the fruits of the Spirit. And that's why, as Megan will put up, is being filled by the Spirit is not a matter of us having more of the Spirit, but having the Spirit having more of us. Darren, that sounds really like a uh, holy roller, jump on the floor, bring out the snakes and oil kind of, kind of thing. Not quite. Being filled with the Spirit, it's not a matter of us having more of the Spirit, but the Spirit having more of us. Have you prayed, Lord, would, would your Spirit lead me, control me, energize me, and grow me this year? And guys, let me just say, that's a dangerous prayer. Because as you pray that, God's going to answer that prayer. And He's going to shift you and shake you in, in both challenging and, and in both subtle ways. Your daily life is going to change your, your, your outlook is going to change. Things that you thought never possible will change. I don't mean that in some weird way, but I just mean to show that God is going to work through you in the most mundane, routine circumstances you never thought possible. Octavius Winslow, one of the great Puritans, said, to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with love for God and a love for man. A Spirit-filled Christian is a Word-filled Christian, end quote. Would you pray that? We're a Baptist church, and we're going to pray the Holy Spirit works among us, right? Amen. We need to. Number six, and these are pretty straightforward. I told you, this isn't rocket science here. They're just reminders. When you go to the doctor, what does your doctor tell you all the time? Are you losing weight? Are you exercising? Or when you go to the dentist, and you know you hate this question. I hate this question. I had my first couple cavities in this last couple months, and it hurts. Trust me. Have you been flossing? Yeah, I flossed right in my car right before I came. Amen. That's how it goes. That's how it works. These are simple things, but they're diagnostics, aren't they? 
Number six, resist the world, resist the flesh, and resist the devil. First John reminds us of these things. First John 2.15 says, Don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world is the evil system that dominates this place as we know it. The things of the world seem expendable because we haven't found Christ supremely valuable. That's what it comes down to. We are to enjoy the world God has given us to be sure, but we are to avoid the evil empire that is behind it. Have you let the things of this world consume you this past year? Have you let the material things, materialism, maybe that's remodeling your house, maybe that's a new car, maybe that's the clothes, maybe that's uh, uh, a certain physique, maybe that's, I, I don't know. Have you let the, the gifts of the giver become more important than the giver himself? He also tells us in 1 John to avoid the flesh. Well, Darren, that's kind of hard. <laughs> Because I have flesh on me all the time. I mean, what does that mean? But living by the flesh is like sweating to pay back a dude who owes you money. It just doesn't work. Each of us has fallen humanness. We all have sin that must be put to death. And we must aggressively crucify our own flesh. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be DQ, disqualified. Friend, is there, is there a besetting sin in your life? And how many times this past year have you gone back to the Lord and said, God, here I am. <laughs> you know why I'm here. Here it is. Thank God he gives grace, amen? But thank God as well he gives the grace to fight it. We're not talking about Wesleyan sinless perfectionism here, but we are talking about an intentional life, to, as the old guy said, to mortify, to, to fight, to, to go to battle with the sins in our life to God's glory. Finally, he says to avoid the devil. Look, it's been well said, if you give the devil cereal, he's going to want a glass of milk. Kind of like that old uh, children's book, if you give a a moose a cookie or a mouse a cookie or a glass of milk, that's how it is. But when the devil comes to accuse you, church, man, we'd be reminded of this. Remind him you are super tight with the God who made him. Remind the devil that you are secure in Christ, that when the world avails your eyes, when the flesh fails you and you feel down in the dumps, and the Spirit is convicting you, and and Satan comes and says, you deserve everything you're getting. You can say, yes, I do, but someone else also took that for me once and for all, and his name is Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 9 says, resist him, that's the devil, be firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. Look, and here's the application point if you're taking notes. If, If we don't set our hearts, our minds, and our affections on things above, the gravitational pull of the world, the flesh, and the devil will seize us, seize us at all times. It really will. This is both for our church, a caution. This is both for our church, a caution not to pattern our methods after the world. This is both a caution for our church not to let sin go easily without notice, both one-to-one in the church and as a church corporate. This is also for us a reminder that the church, that the, the gates of hell will never prevail against us. Doesn't it feel like that at times? Haven't this last year, whether you are Republican, Democrat, our country has been like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like being on a tilt-a-world. I hate tilt-a-worlds. I don't know about you. Always makes me sick. That's how it's felt as a Christian. 
being pulled in many different directions. We're not being persecuted. Luke and I were talking about this at Pizza Hut the other day. We don't know persecution the way the Bible speaks to persecution here in the States, but we're getting a taste of little bits of what it means to be shocked in our system when we claim Jesus Christ. We don't set our minds and hearts and affections on things above. The gravitational pull of the world, the flesh, and the devil will seize us. Number seven. We're going to get this a little more practical here. All this is practical, but a little more closer to home. Be in close fellowship with other Christians. Here's a free advertisement. On the fourth Sunday of every month at 5 o'clock, we're going to have a carry-in dinner, B-Y-O-D. Bring your own dish. We're going to study through what a healthy church is, prayer and fellowship together, 5 o'clock, the fourth Sunday of all year, starting in the fourth Sunday of January. The Puritans used to say the devil attacks the ship that sails only, not the one in the fleet. The Christian life is very contagious, isn't it? It encourages you to stand strong as others step forward. But it's so easy to live in this world by yourself. We had a repairman out to our house last night, tried to share the gospel with him, and he said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. And then, oh boy, uh, then he wants to talk about the weather, the chiefs, and everything else, because that just gets awkward for him in that moment. And I said, where, he goes, he goes, look, look, I, I, I go to church. I, I said, okay, where do you go? He mentioned a church, just uh, another city, doesn't matter. He said, I already told the pastor there, I have a Bible at my house. I'm okay. I can read it by myself. I don't need to be around other Christians. I can do it by myself. Wow. And then he fixed the part, got the check, and left pretty quick after that. And that, that was the conversation. Friends, there's no Lone Ranger Christian. For some of you in this group, this is going to be a challenge from the pulpit for you to find yourself in a small group or a Sunday school class faithfully each week. To be a part of a small group off campus, whatever it is. Because you need to be around the fellowship of other Christians and study, not just in worship, but all the time. That's going to be a tough one. For some of you, this means that you need to open yourself up to what Christians ask of you when they say, can I pray for you? And you say, no, I'm good. Life is good, but you're going to be a little more vulnerable with that and say, you know what, would you pray for me in this area? That's going to be hard to do. But we should be in the world, but who has access to your ear and your heart? The people need to be strong Christians. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Are your closest friends those who are Christian or non-Christian. And look, I'm all about befriending, not just to win a convert. You should genuinely love non-Christians, but are your closest confidants, your closest friends, those who claim the name of Jesus Christ? If they're not, you really need to reevaluate that priority. Look, Satan hates Christian fellowship. It's his policy to keep us apart. If you scorn the fellowship of the brothers and sisters, you reject the call of Christ. And Charles Spurgeon said this, and you'll see this quote up here. I love this quote. He says, Satan attaches more importance to godly fellowship than we. Since union is strength, he does his best to separate us. It's what it's all about. Friends, we're not going to go, you know, we're not going to go knock on your door uh, if you're not here for a week. Hopefully we'll check up on you and those sorts of things. But, but does coming on Sunday morning seem more like a drag for you or more like a joy for you? Because that's really the question. Because being around other Christians is one of the most joyous things, isn't it? It's hard, but it's a joy. And this isn't trying to boost attendance. Look, if God brings us 50 faithful people, and because we live faithfully and lovingly, everyone else falls away, okay. 
but are we here intentionally with one another? That's a prayer from my heart as well as our church as well as for your own. Number seven. All right, number eight. We've got to keep trucking here. Number eight. Be in prayer before God. Be in prayer before God. Megan, I'm just going to have you, if you want to just put those five things up really quick. There's a lot, of, there's a lot there. I appreciate that. You know, I love Luke 5.16. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Friends, I'll be honest. This, these are five lessons I've relearned about prayer this past year and in the last couple of years. Prayer is one of the hardest things for us to do. We can read the Bible. We can press play. We can put in the earbuds and hear Scripture. We can fellowship. And fellowship is not just getting together. It's intentionally talking about the Lord. You know, all those things. But prayer is one thing that goes out, if we're honest. I, I, is that fair enough? Is that fair to say? Not the only one in that boat. Let me just give you five quick encouragements. When you least desire to pray is when you most need to pray. Isn't that the case? Just like when you least desire to exercise is when you've got to pull those warm covers off your blanket. Amen? This is why Habakkuk, or Habakkuk cried, O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, I do, I fear, in the midst of your years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He was praying, God, let a revival come through this land. Let a revival come through our people. Let a revival come through me. But it starts when I don't hear about it, Lord. I don't hear the reports. I don't see the results of your hand. I, it, it, Lord, you're not answering my prayers. It's like hitting the ceiling and bouncing like a bouncy ball all over the place. Where is it? When you least desire to pray is when you most need to pray. Second, prayer is often a fight. It's a prayer to get our kids to pray sometimes, too, because that food just wants to go in the mouth before the prayers actually happen. But how much is what Luke 18.1 says, and Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and never lose heart. Luke 18.1. Say, Darren, my heart is cold. Well, I'm cold all over, too. But you know what? We put on clothes to keep warm, don't we? If your heart is cold, you must pray until you can pray. You must pray until you have prayed. The less we feel inspired and emboldened to pray, the more we need to pray. The less we think our prayers are effective, the more we need to pray. Three, the weakest prayers often yield the most grace. I know this to be true because the return in our prayers is far greater than the investment made. One day heaven will reveal all the prayers that were just those kind of emergency prayers, if you will. Notice I didn't say shortest prayers. I, I, I've written an ebook on that if you want that, 10 Short Prayers of the Bible, as a plug, and there's, there's plenty of short prayers in the Bible. I'm not talking about short prayers, but it can be argued that general prayer is better than no prayer at all, but specific prayer is better than any prayer at, at nothing because you get to trace God's hand. What, it, what I love about prayer, you don't have to have a smartphone from the pastor to pray. You get to go through the throne room of grace just by yourself. The trash man, bless those trash men, amen. They were out on a cold day yesterday. Bless those trash men. They, those trash men who prayed when they were walking around yesterday doing all those sorts of things can yield the most prayer more than any of us just simply because they went to the Lord. doesn't matter your stature or rank. Number four, prayer is necessary as we plow through the monotonous mundane of life. Look, you have to pray. Prayer is not exciting in that sense. It's not like the world says, but it is what Christians do. And finally, when you wake each, up each morning, make secret prayer your first item of your day. Can I throw a thing at you before you pick up your smartphone, before you pick up your telephone, before you pick up your remote, before you pick up your feet on that floor, you take a few minutes and you pray with God. 
Now, if there's an emergency or you're not going to make it to the restroom, all right. But generally speaking, nine times out of ten, make it your resolution before you go outside of whatever God would have you do to just take a few minutes to pray. Some of you aren't awake. My wife, bless her, she can't, you know, she has to drink like five cups of coffee to get awake, you know. Here I am, I wake up, I'm ready to go run, you know, and do these things. We're all wired differently, I get that. Wherever you are, is that your priority? That's the question. Again, these are not earth-shattering, but are they realities in our life? Two more, I know we got to hurry. Number nine, come to the Lord's table. Come to the Lord's table. This is the Lord's Supper. This is what we do the first Sunday of every month uh, during service and also during our business meetings the third Sunday of the uh, uh, four times a year and at various different points. Come to the Lord's table to remember Christ. Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Breaking bread was the Lord's Supper. If you love the promise, come to the Lord's table and ponder its price. You'll see that up on the screen. If you love it, come to the Lord's table and ponder its price. Do you need to reconcile? Is there someone that has offended you? Have you yet to receive forgiveness, accept forgiveness? How many times do you forgive someone, Jesus, Peter asked? And what did Jesus say? Do you remember? Seven times? Seventy-seven. That's a lot. I don't know if I can do that math in my head off top without a calculator. That's a lot of times. It, forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is messy. Forgiveness is confusing. Forgiveness is exhausting. Forgiveness is easy to exploit, and it's precisely the way God forgives us in Jesus Christ. Friends, as much as you are able, and I know there's different factors that come in, I I know that, but as much as you are able, come to the Lord's table. Can I say this pastorally? Don't walk out the door to go run off somewhere. Make time to come to the Lord's table. Why? Because this is your family coming together. This is the thing Jesus gave. We know there are things that happen, things that come up, but as often as you are able, come to the Lord's table. Number 10, two more. Number 10, have a place of service. Have a place of service in evangelizing. One of the marks of someone who desires to serve Christ is he also desires to serve Christ's church. There must be an intake and an outflow. This might be a formal place in ministry, but often it's just doing normal life with normal people. You know, how do you become a, you know, some people will say, I want to go, I want to go, like, to China and share the gospel in the mountains where people have never heard about the gospel. And you know what the question that you ask them next is? What's your neighbor's name? Silence. But the Chinese people or the African people or the Canadian people or the people in Kansas who don't have the right basketball team, Darren, come on. Oh, yeah? Do you know the neighbor or the next coworker who works in the seed farm a couple things over? What's their name? Before you go, make sure you're being faithful here. When we are simply taking in, like taking in food with no exercise, we know that the muscles atrophy or or atrophies, I don't know how you say that, but we must also exercise our spiritual muscles and work in the Lord's vineyard. For some of you this year, it may be looking at and saying, Lord, where is it I need to serve at Tower View? Not just as a fill-in on a Sunday, but on a faithful basis. And one thing we're looking at is a system to take out the, just the, the, the commitment with no end time, but these cycles of commitment so that you can serve in different places. But are you willing? And if you're serving, thank you. But it doesn't matter, and Megan will put this up, it doesn't matter where we are, which ministries we serve and support, what church we're a member of, it's all about God's kingdom, isn't it? 
all about his. If, if you are the best baby diaper wiper in the West, praise God, because we need those. Amen? And if you're the best coffee maker, Jeff Jones, I'm looking at you, brother, because you are. You have turned that coffee ministry upside down in a good way, because uh, the pot's empty all the time. They go by. That's how I know it's upside down, right? So it's good. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. You know, if it's, if it's serving in a unique way that God has called you to, 1 Peter 4 reminds us that as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I don't know where you're at, but that may be it. Lastly, and I'll close with this. Number 11, keys to spiritual growth. You must grow in your current trials. For some of you, this may be the hardest one to swallow because it hits home. Don't hate what God has destined for you. Don't hate what God has destined for you. Our greatest lessons, and Megan will put this up, are most often learned in the school of affliction. Many of you are battling family issues that don't ever seem to go away. Many of you are battling health issues that definitely don't ever seem to go away. Many of you can't ever seem to get past paycheck to paycheck or, or, or get finances in order. Many of you can't seem to get your kids straight. Many of you can't seem to get your car to start. Whatever your hurdle is right now that just never seems to go away, it just lingers like a dark cloud, like uh, who was that, uh, Linus or, or like a Charlie Brown cartoon where the rain cloud kind of follows them around all over, if you remember that. Who was it? Pigpen, thank you. Yeah, Pigpen stunk, so I think they had to wash him down every day with a shower from above. But friends, your greatest trials are the greatest growth that God could possibly use in your life. These are not optional electives that you can pick and choose what you want to do to graduate, but they are required classes. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 reminds us, Paul says, You have received the word in much affliction, but with joy of the Holy Spirit. You may need to pray today, Lord, I'm not where I want to be, and it's okay to pray that, but it's better to be honest before the Lord. Because your trial may just be going and seeing this list and being like, oh my goodness, Baron, I don't have time for this. Guys, you probably don't. Then what is it you need to cut out? Seriously. I love ESPN, and boy, that ESPN app needs to go off my phone because I can down lots of information pretty quickly. What is it in your life? Let me just put up the list, and this is why we didn't put it up. Megan will put this up. Here are the 11. If you're taking notes, you need a refresher. First off, do you know that you're saved? Megan, you just run the, run the machine gun list down. It's fine. Do you know that you're saved? Are you immersed in Scripture? Are you growing and loving in worship to God? Are you living in obedience to Christ? Are you being filled with the Spirit? Are you resisting the world, the flesh, and the devil? Are you in close fellowship with other Christians? Are you in prayer before the Lord? Are you coming to, it should say, the Lord's table? Because he, Lord's table, just thank God for grace, right? Do you have a place of service? And are you growing in your current trials? Guys, I pray as we come to plan as a church, and I'm excited, guys. I really, really am. I am excited for what God has for us, and I am so excited what God is doing in your life. Our staff is. It is exciting to be at Power View right now. It really is. It's an awesome place. So thank you. Would you pray these are realities in our life? All right. You got 11. Are you ready to pray? Let's try out number eight, shall we? <laughs> As we do. Let's bow our heads today, guys.